we would be eternally lost without your word. It gives us great comfort. Almighty God, is it to know that you sit on the throne of our lives? And no matter what happens to us in this world, it's underneath your direction. Almighty God, we have nothing to fear but simply to walk in fear of the Lord God, our King, giving him holy reverence and seeking to live out our lives simply with the task of pleasing him, bringing him glory and honor with our lives since we are now born again. We are new creatures in Messiah. The word speaks and says that we can have the mind of Messiah and we are being transformed daily into his likeness, into his character so that just as he has set before us his example when he was here on the earth, to simply walk and hear the Father's voice, just as he did. Many times in the scripture records in the Gospels, the good news, where Yeshua rose up early in the morning and spent time in the presence of the Father, and sometimes, just as he started his day, he ended that day the same way. Going away from the crowds, sometimes even set, separating himself from his Talmudim, his disciples, to seek the Father's face, to know the Father's presence. And that's our heart's desire as we yearn because we know that this earth is not our eternal home. Our eternal home is to be in the presence of our Father. And we're encouraged by Moshe, Moses, when he said these words, that he would not go forward. He did not want even to enter into the promised land. He was willing to remain in the wilderness and walk in God's provision. He declared, if you do not go before us and with us, we shall not go. We know that one day, Abba, Father God, you will turn to your son who sits on your right hand on his throne and you'll say, now's the time, now go forth and get your bride. The place of your bride's resident is now complete by your hands. Now go and receive your bride unto yourself. Lord Yeshua, we long your appearing, the appearing of the bridegroom for his bride, both Jews and Gentiles who are one in Messiah. We ache in our hearts to be with our beloved forevermore throughout all eternity, to enter into the wedding supper of the Lamb as a bride from every tribe, from every tongue, from every nation. Yeshua, you're coming back for your bride. O bride, are we preparing ourselves? Are we adorning ourselves with the things of this world? 
the cares of this world? Or are we adorning ourselves and allowing the Ruach HaKodesh, the Spirit of the living God, to prepare us to meet our bridegroom face to face? To God be all glory and honor and praise. In Yeshua's name, amen. Father, now as we turn to your word, we thank you for your word. May it come alive, inspire, equip, establish your word in our minds and hearts. We hear the voices of all these political leaders throughout the known world that we are to follow their agenda. But Lord God, who sits on the throne of our hearts, we desire to fulfill your agenda in our lives. It's your word which is trusted and true and proven. It is alive. It is current. Though it is ancient, it is current because you are the living word, O Yeshua, that gives us life. We ask this in Yeshua's name, amen. Acts of Yeshua's emissaries, the Shalakim, chapter 23. This would be part two. So we're in Acts chapter 23, beginning at verse 1. And Shaul looked straight at them and said, Brothers, I have been discharging my obligations to God with a perfectly clear conscience right up until today. He's not boasting in himself. He's boasting that the Lord was faithful and allowing him to live his life out to this very moment. Fulfilling all that God had called him to do up to that moment. Can we honestly say that about ourselves today? Or are our hearts cut by these words of conviction? See, Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul, he was in the process of pouring out his life as a drink offering unto the Lord. And just with that same passion and zeal, he was addressing his brothers who yet had a veil over their eyes. Because in the sincerity of their own hearts, they believed that they were fulfilling God's obligations. But he was calling them out of their own righteous mitzvot, righteous deeds and saying, here, now follow my example. For I know the Lord. He continues here. Verse 2. And think about this, the conviction that came upon this individual's heart and the action that he did in verse number 2. But the Kohen Haggadah, Hananiah, ordered those standing near him to do what? To strike him on the mouth. Then Shaul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Will you sit there judging me according to Torah and yet in violation of Torah order me to be struck? The men nearby said, this is a Kohen Haggadah, the high priest of God that you're insulting. Shaul said, 
I didn't know, brothers, that he was a Kohen Haggadol, the high priest. For it says in the Torah, you are not to speak disparagingly of the ruler of your people. But knowing that one part of the Sanhedrin consisted of the Zudakim, which are the Sadducees, and the other, the Purushim, who are the Pharisees, Shaul shouted, Brothers, I myself am a Parush, a Pharisee, and the son of Purushim, son of Pharisees. And it is concerning the hope of the resurrection of the dead that I'm being tried. And when he said this, an argument arose between the Purushim, the Pharisees, and Zedzudakim, the Sadducees, and the crowd was divided. Here they were standing shoulder to shoulder. They saw what their high priest had ordered to be done to Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul, and they were all in agreement. But suddenly the tables are turned. Why are they turned? Because the focus of Rav Shaul's life was the resurrection of the Messiah. And they had Beit Midrash, which is a house of study and debate. For many, many years, there were two camps here. There were the Sadducees, and there were the Pharisees. Later, we'll go into more detail defining who they were and what they believed. But let's go forward here in the scripture. Verse number 8. For the Zudakim, the Sadducees, deny the resurrection and the existence of angels and spirits, whereas the Purushim acknowledge both. Now think about this. If you're a Sadducee and you're reading about the account of Jacob's ladder and there's angels ascending and descending, how do you work that out in your theology? Impossible. So let's go forward here. Verse 9. So great was this uproar that some of the Torah teachers who were on the side of the Purushim, the Pharisees standing up and joining in. Now all of a sudden, Rashaul has support. Why? Because he knew as a Pharisee himself, a Messianic Jew, that came from what class of people, what people group that he chose to be part of, but the Pharisees. Because it was taught to him as a child that the resurrection of the dead would someday come. You read in Daniel, it's there. You read in Joel, it is there. It says this, that the one day Adonai Elohim shall raise up the dead, speaking of Jewish people, and their names will then be inquired if their names are inscribed in the book of life. Every Yom Kippur during that season, what's the Jewish male and female's heart's desire? That their names may be inscribed in the book of life. See, many of us who happen to come from a Christian heritage 
we don't see these foundation stones that Adonai laid in the Torah. And it's as if a veil has been removed from our eyes. And now we see more clearly. See, that's what the Lord desires, is for us to know him. Think about this. You're about to be married to your bridegroom who is Jewish. His name is Yeshua. Should you know, know, know about the customs and traditions of his family that his father has established? I think it would be very important. You're not a mail-order bride. You have been chosen by the Father to enter into a covenantal relationship with your bridegroom. Let's get back to the scripture. Verse 9, so there was a great uproar of some of the Torah teachers who were on the side of the Persian, the Pharisees, standing up and joining in. We don't find anything wrong with this man. And if a spirit or an angel spoke to him, what of it? All of a sudden, they got, in today's vernacular, they have Rav Shaul's back, right? He's one of us. And now they're looking at the Kohen Gadol, and they're thinking, you know what? He's right. Nothing is recorded here. You know, our thoughts are not recorded in Scripture. Praise God. Otherwise, I knew would be very, very embarrassed, would we not? As I said earlier, before this message even started, just think if they were still recording the Scripture, dealing with our lives, showing us with our warts and all, would you I, and I not be humbled in the presence of the Lord? Absolutely. But you know what's beauty about seeing the warts in our other godly men and women? Is that we can identify with them. Because it would not the grace and mercy of God and becoming more mature, we would do likewise. Let's be honest. Let's go forward here. Verse 10. The dispute became so violent that the commander, now is this a commander of, 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 of the leaders of, of, of the, the, the temple guard? No, these are the Romans. They got to get involved. Why? Because here's a family dispute. Ever get together with cousins? And they start sharing stories? And one side of the family shares it, well, it, came, it was this way. But then the other family said, no, 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 no. You don't quite remember. This is the way it really went. And there's debate. And there's division. That's what's happening here. In the midst of the family, there's division. Going forward here. God allows division in the families, does he not? And he uses that to humble us so that we can come to know Messiah in a greater way. Uh, Brother David Chinval shared today an excellent Torah commentary and reading dealing with Yosef, Joseph and his brothers. And they thought for sure that once dad died that Joseph was going to raise up and seek revenge. But as David shared in a gracious way that Joseph here 
he showed mercy and grace and gave the glory to God. In the scripture, it says that you did this out of evil intentions, selling him to slavery. But God used it to glorify his name and save hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people at that time. A type of Messiah was Joseph. Back to the scripture here. Praise be unto God. This dispute became so violent, verse 10, that the commander, the Roman commander, fearing that Shaul would be torn apart by them. See, they're not just doing Minnesota nice here. Those of you that are not from Minnesota, that may be living on the, listening on the podcast, maybe you're from a different country, in Minnesota people tend to smile at you but then they have other things going on in their mind. They appear to be nice, but that's not always the case. So going forward here. The dispute became so violent that the commander, the Roman commander, feeling, fearing that Shaul would be torn apart by them, ordered the soldiers to go down and take him by force and bring him back into the barracks. The following night... Just think about this. They had to keep uh, all those people separate. Rav Shaul out of there. The following night, the Lord Yeshua stood by him and said, stood by who? The Kohen Hagadol, the high priest? No, Rav Shaul, the apostle Paul. Wait a second. Didn't he die? Wasn't he buried? Yes, but he rose from the dead. And what was the dispute? What was the crux of the argument that caused division in the house of Israel between the Sadducees and the Pharisees? The resurrection. And so Yeshua came here personally and appeared to Rav Shaul. He just did not stand there and just look at him. But it says these words. And he said, do, do dead men appear suddenly and stand next to you? Do they begin speaking to you? Absolutely not. So here's a proof some 20 plus years later that Yeshua is alive and well. And he can speak to us. Continuing here. Verse 11, the following night, the Lord Yeshua stood by him and said, take courage. For just as you have been born a faithful witness to me in Jerusalem, so now you must bear witness in Rome. Because I believe this in the bottom of my heart. Rav Shaul knew that he was being poured out as a drink offering unto the Lord, giving testimony. And at any moment, his light of the resurrection, the power of Yeshua could be snuffed out at any time. His testimony was true, but his life could be snuffed out. And he was not living and walking by fear, but he was doing what the Father had obligated for him to do. And now, God the Father does not send an angel to him. Remember how how Kepha was released from prison when an angel came? 
and suddenly the doors, the chains fell off his hands and feet, and the doors were open, and he walked out. No, the Father sent his Son. Literally. This is not a dream. This is not a vision. This is literally Yeshua in his resurrected, glorified flesh and bone, standing back right next to Rav Shaul and saying, now take courage. So who are you going to believe? The high priest? A Sadducee? A Pharisee? Or are you going to believe the words of your resurrection Savior, Redeemer, your King, your Shepherd, when he says, take courage? And when he said these words, you were a faithful witness in Jerusalem, but now I'm sending you to where? To Rome. No, Rome was not uh, part of the suburbs of Jerusalem. And for some people, your ge geography is poor. And you know what? We need to pull out maps and find out where Rome is. Where is Rome? It is in the country of Italy. So let's move forward here. Isn't it amazing that God has ordained for us to even have maps in our Bibles? Because otherwise, these would just be places. You know what? We'd imagine where these places are. But God has established where these towns and cities are going to be. He's the one that set up the borders. Borders? Rabbi, don't go there. Got to go there. God has established the borders of the nations. But what is man trying to do today? Destroy all those borders. See, Hasatan doesn't want God's word to be fulfilled, where it says that from every tribe, every tongue, and every people, shall come to know Messiah. But it doesn't stop there just knowing Messiah. You have to acknowledge that Messiah died upon that tree for your sins, and he rose from the dead so you can have new life in him. It's not simply head knowledge. It's a relationship. And that's why Abba, Father God, who had a relationship with Rav Shaul, he sent Yeshua personally Yeshua had to raise up from his throne and to descend upon the earth again in his glorified body so he can have a conversation you know what the, the Ruach HaKodesh who's penning this letter but, but the Apostle Luke there may have been more dialogue but the Ruach HaKodesh the spirit of living God only gives us enough for us so we'll be focused on that because you can conjecture here and let your head run wild. But we're to focus on God's word. Because it's yes and amen. Going forward here. Verse 12. The next day some of the Judeans formed a conspiracy. Are there any conspiracies going on today? Absolutely. What does Hasatan want to do? He wants to destroy every person that glorifies God the Father through his son Yeshua the Messiah by the power and the equipping of the Ruach HaKodesh, the spirit of the living God. 
So you are currently in Hasatan, the devil's crosshairs. He would love to kill you, but he doesn't mind ruining your testimony. And he'll use whatever means he desires. He will promise anyone the world. When I've been thinking about this past week about the anti-Messiah coming, and I rarely think about the anti-Messiah. What did Hasatan do when Yeshua went into the wilderness for those 40 days? He promised him the kingdoms of this world. And Yeshua refused that. There will be one day a man on this earth and Hasatan will come up to that man and he will promise him the kingdoms of this world and he will receive them unto himself. We're on the threshold of that becoming a reality at any moment. But prior to that, Messiah will come for his bride. Are you ready? Let's continue here. The next day, some of the Judeans formed a conspiracy. They took an oath saying that they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Shaul. And just think about the time in this setting. This is a time of Shavuot. The giving of the law, the Torah, to Moses on Mount Sinai, and also the birth of of the Messianic community, 120 Jews who were assembled in that upper room and they received the Ruach HaKodesh, the spirit of living God. But these men are doing what? They're desiring to put one of their own to death. Verse 13, more than 40 were involved in this plot. They went to the head koinim and elders and said, we have bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food until we have killed Shaul. Do you know every one of these men, prior to them even to be able to go up to the temple courts area, had to go through the mikvah uh, baths of cleansing, repenting of their sins, and bringing a sacrifice which was acceptable to Abba, Father God. And this is their mindset. When your theology becomes your identity, it's time to question your theology. Are you filling the obligations of the Father or your own? And think about this, who's complicit on this? But the representative of God the Father in the land of Israel, the high priest. And he condones this. Just like the one who sat as Yeshua was brought before him and judged him and desired that Pilate, the Romans, put him to death. Can we see the similarities here? Absolutely. Yeshua, when he went to that 
Mount of Olives. And he spent time in the presence of the Father. He asked the Father, is there any other way? Before he even asked, he knew the answer. And he went to do and say and accomplish all that the Father desired for him to do with his life on this earth. Are we doing the same today? Let's go forward here. Verse 15. What you are to do is to make it appear to the commander that you and the Sanhedrin want to get a more accurate information about Shaul's case so that he will bring him down to you while we for our part are prepared to kill him before he even gets there. There's not only one conspiracy going, there's another. And who's behind that other one? But the high priest. Let's move forward here. It's amazing how Hasatan can put a blinder and a veil over people's eyes who desire to do what is pleasing in the Father's sight. But now they're as a puppet in Hasatan's hands. Let's go forward here. Verse 16. Now things change again. But the son of Shaul's sister. Did you know that Rav Shaul has a sister? For many of us, this is the very first time. We've probably read it, but it just did not click in our minds. The son of Shaul's sister got wind of the planned ambush. This is a nephew. And he went into the barracks and told Shaul. Shaul called one of the officers and said, take this man up to the commander. He has something to tell him. So he took him and he brought him to the commander and said, the prisoner Shaul called me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took him, took him by the hand and led him aside privately and asked, what is it you have to tell me? He said the Judeans want to investigate his case more thoroughly. But don't let them. Let yourself be taken into it. Because more than 40 men are lying in wait for him. And they have taken an oath that neither they'll eat nor drink until they kill him. And they are ready now, only waiting for you to give your consent to their request. See, he got intel. He could have been silent. But he was convicted in his heart. Think about this relationship that this nephew had with his uncle, Rav Shaul, who was also a Pharisee. I believe also a Messianic Jew. Going forward here. Verse 22, the commander let the young man go, cautioning him, 
Don't tell anyone that you have reported this to me. Then he summoned two of his captains and said, get 200 infantry soldiers ready to leave for Caesarea. Where's Caesarea on your, in your maps? It's both north, north and west of present-day Jerusalem. Yep, on the Mediterranean coast. And this is the headquarters of one of Pilate's palaces and also King Herod's. Look for that on your maps in your Bible. Then, then he summoned two of the captains and said, get 250 infantry soldiers ready to leave for Caesarea at 9 o'clock tonight. And 70 mounted cavalry and 200 spearmen. Also provide replacements for Shaul's horse when it gets tired. Notice that he's not asking for a replacement for the other horses, but he wants to make sure this guy, he's able to go to his journey. Why? Because he's a Roman citizen. And he knew that he would be held accountable if any harm happened to a Roman citizen, even if that Roman citizen is Jewish. Going forward here. Verse 25, and the commander wrote the following letter. Just think about that. Luke, the one that is writing this years later, is now has access to that literal letter. Let's go forward here. To his excellency, Governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Judean leaders and was about to be killed by them when I came on to the scene with my troops and rescued him after learning that he was a Roman citizen. I wanted to understand exactly what they were charging him, so I brought him down to their Sanhedrin, which is their judicial religious court of both Pharisees and Sadducees. I found that he was charged in connection with a question of their Torah, but that there was no charge deserving death or prison. See, we forget that uh, although there was a Sanhedrin, they could uh, make judgments on religious and Jewish customs, but they did not have the power to imprison or to put anyone to death. Why? Because they were underneath Roman rule. Going forward here. Verse 30. But when I was informed of the plot against the man, I immediately sent him to you and also ordered his accusers to state their case against him before you. So the soldiers, following their orders, took Shaul during the night and brought him to Antipatris. Find that place on your map. Then returned to the barracks after leaving the cavalry to go on without him. The cavalry took him to where? To Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor and handed Shaul over to him. The governor read a letter and asked what providence was he from? On learning that he was from one, from where? Cecilia, Cilicia. And where is that? In present day, Turkey. 
Tarsus. Shaul of Tarsus. Going forward here. He said, I will give you a full hearing after your accusers have also arrived and ordered him to be kept under guard in Herod's headquarters. As I promised early, I will fulfill this. This is definitions of what a Purushim, and we'll be ending on this definition, and the Zudakim, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. Pharisees and Sadducees, they were the two main factions of the religious establishment in Yeshua's time, in 586 before the Common Era. Babylon conquered Judea and Jerusalem and laid waste to the first temple, which King Solomon had built and deported the ruling classes to Babylon. With the temple sacrifices and the koinim, the priests, no longer functioning, the Jews in exile, after their return 70 years later, sought another organizing principle on which to center their communal life. They found in the Torah, the law, as we can see, and that is this, that the earliest students and developers and upholders of the Torah seem have, have been of the hereditary of the priestly class. Ezra himself was both a Kohen and a Sofer, a scribe. But later, as the Kohenim were drawn back into caring for the sacrificial system as it developed during the Second Temple period, a lay movement which supported Torah and favored its adaption to its needs of the people arose. It began to challenge the authority of the koinim. The koinim, the priests, and their backers in the first century common era were known as the Zudakim, the Sadducees. After the Kohen Gadol, appointed by King Solomon, Zadok, his name means righteous. Meanwhile, under the Maccabees, this makes it a little bit more current for us, right? What do we just celebrate? But Hanukkah. Under the Maccabees in the second century, before the common era, those whose main concern was not the sacrifices, but the Torah were called Hasidim. Ex except for the name which means pious ones. There is no connection between the various Orthodox Jewish communities that follow the teachings spread by the Talmudim of the 16th century Eastern European teacher and mystic known as Baal Shem Tov. The successors of the Hasidim were known as who? The Purushim, the Pharisees, which means they, the separated ones, because they separated themselves from worldly ways and worldly people. Think of what camp Yeshua came from, the Pharisees. He spoke against what? Us following worldly ways. Going forward here. These Purushim, the Pharisees, not only took the Tanakh to be God's word to man, notice that, to man, to all men, but also considered the accumulated tradition handed down over the centuries by the sages and teachers 
to be God's word as well, the oral Torah. So that a system of living developed which touched on every aspect of life. In Yeshua's day, the, the Zudakim, the, the Sadducees, tended to be richer and more skeptical, more worldly, and more willing to what? To cooperate with Rome and the rulers than the Purushim, the Pharisees. However, the destruction of the Second Temple in 80 common, 70 common era ended the viability vi vi of the Sadducees, the Zudakim, by destroying the venue of their chief responsibility. And whatever traditions they may have developed has, for the most part, been lost. Back to the Pharisees. The Purushim and their ancestors were then free to develop further their own received tradition and make it the center of gravity for the Jewish life everywhere. Eventually, due to the dispersion of the Jewish people, which separated many from the living flow of tradition, these oral materials were now collected and written down in the Mishnah, 220 common era, under the editorship of Yehuda Ha-Nasi, Judah the Prince. The rabbis' discussions about the Mishnah during the following two to three centuries in the land of Israel and Babylon were collected to form the Jerusalem and the Babylonian Gemaras. Combined with the Mishnah, these constitute the Jerusalem and Babylonian Talmuds. Centuries of Christian preaching has made the English word Pharisee virtually a synonym for a hypocrite and a stubborn legalist. Witness the entry of the pharisaical in Webster's third New, uh, International Dictionary. It goes as this. Resembling the Pharisees, especially in strictness of doctrine and in rigid observance, of forms and ceremonies, making an outward show of piety, underline that, an outward show of piety and morality, but lacking the inward spirits. That's why Yeshua in that context said to them, you are white walls, whitewashed sepulchers full of dead men's bones because you do everything on the outside to appear that you're holy, righteous, and pious, but he knew their hearts. Going forward here. They would be censorious of others, morals and practices, formal, sanctimonious, and self-righteous and hypocritical. Going forward here. While it is true that Yeshua himself lambasted you hypocritical, hypocritical Torah teachers, thank you, and Purushim Pharisees for having many of these traits, Christians often forget his it is his hard words which were delivered in a family context. He was calling them to go deeper with God. Just as Rav Shaul, here, now he's staying in the temple courts, are calling them to, to focus on the scripture, not the traditions of men, because he himself had been delivered from the traditions of the Pharisees. And he got to know God's son intimately as he recognized both the death and resurrection of Messiah. This is very, very important that I continue here so you can get a greater understanding, especially those of you who are listening on the podcast. So that when you go and you speak and try to reach Jewish people today, you can understand their custom 
and their, their heritage and what their Jewish religious beliefs are based on. Otherwise, you speak and you teach in error. Going forward here. Christians often forget that it's, these hard words were delivered in a family context. As a Jew criticizing some of his fellow Jews, at glance, any modern Jewish community newspaper will show us that Jews are still critical of each other and willing to, to endure such criticism and reproof and rebuke are normal and acceptable behaviors in many Jewish settings. However, Yeshua does not take his fellow Jews to task for being Pharisees, but for being hypocrites. The former does not imply the latter. Moreover, Yeshua's criticism was not of all perishing, not all Pharisees. Remember? There was that Pharisee that sought him late at night, and he came to know Messiah. And Joseph of Arimathea, he took Messiah's body and had it laid in his own tomb. Let's go forward here. The former does not imply the latter. Moreover, Yeshua's criticism was not of all Pershim, not of all Pharisees, but only for those who were hypocritical. hypocritical. While some Pharisees were insincere and overly concerned with the externals, how many of us believers get so involved in the externals? And we forget about the spiritual manifestation of God in our own hearts and lives. This speaks to us today. Going forward. Concerned with the externals. Others were not far from the kingdom of God. Yeshua said that in Mark chapter 12, 34. Some entered it and became followers of Yeshua without ceasing to be what? Pharisees. That's found in Acts uh, 15.5. In fact, Shaul said before the Sanhedrin, Brothers, I myself am a perush. I'm a Pharisee. Did you hear that? Is God's word not true? Did not Luke record it correctly? Going forward here. Because of sub subconsciousness negative association, most people have with the English word Pharisee. I, w I was supposed to stop before there because I was going to go into more detail at another time. And also it says this, in fact, Shaul said before the Sanhedrin brothers, I myself am a parush, am not, but was, literally mean present tense. Where is that found in Acts chapter 23, verse 6? See, it's important we understand the background, the demographics, the customs. Otherwise, we speak and these scriptures are, are spun and they're twisted and they're used by anti-Semitism today. Both of those who are part of the body of Messiah, part of the church, and those that are on the outside. As they take these scriptures, they don't recognize this is family having a family discussion and calling them out. Just as Rav Shaul saw that Kepha Peter 
was eating with those grafted in Messianic Gentiles. And then all of a sudden, members of the Pharisees who believed that every Gentile male needed to be circumcised, otherwise they could not be saved. And when Rav Shaul saw that Kepha had left the table that had predominantly Gentile, Messianic Gentiles, and then went over to where there were only Pharisee, uh, Messianic Jewish people, that, that Rav Shaul called him out in front of everyone and laid bare his own hypocrisy. And Kepha became a better man because of it. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 